the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. One benefit of the law is to understand what is right and what is wrong. Now, the problem today is, sadly, even in some churches, they want to selectively decide what some things that God says is still enforced and still defined as right and wrong and some things that God says aren't. And people get to, I I suppose they think they get to indiscriminately just decide with some of the things that God says now in terms of right and wrong are up to personal interpretation or not. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. If you drive too fast on a road because you haven't seen a speed limit sign, you're still speeding. Technically, a police officer can ticket you, even if you didn't know what the legal limit was. As Pastor Gary continues to lead us through the book of Romans, He will remind you of the importance of God's law. These rules aren't designed to be restrictive, just the opposite. They act as a mirror so we can see the ways we fall short. And they point us to a loving Father who offers us redemption and righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. to look at our old self and say that person is done and dead and buried can't go back can't do the old things it's over with that person is history and you see the problem becomes when we try to straddle the fence and we're like well you know i still want to do some of those things and i still want to go to heaven and so i'm just going to try to do a little bit of both one foot in the church one foot of the world you know how that goes that's a miserable life friends that is a miserable life In Revelation, Jesus said, I would that you were either hot or cold, but to be lukewarm. He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And we need need to make decisions as Christians that that old self, that old person, and those old ways, that's gone. Now, as I said last week, for some of you, that's an easier transition because that old self got you in a lot of trouble, was miserable, was excruciating, Maybe there were, as the result of that old person, a lot of fallout. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe a marriage disintegrated. Maybe your kids can't stand you. And there's a lot of stuff. And so you're like quick to leave that old life and start a new life. And there's others of you that, you know, you, you, you liked that old life. 
And you're not so convinced that that old life was that bad. And it's harder for you to make the, the transition. But the transition needs to be made. Because you can't be straddling both worlds. You, you got to go all out. Recognize Jesus went all out, sacrificed his life, dies on a cross, not so that we can be lukewarm, but so that we could be on fire for him. And it means we're going to have to reckon that self, that old self, consider that old self dead, gone, and buried. You make no concession. The, the Bible says, he's, he's going to tell us later in Romans 13, verse 14, he says, do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't even think about it. And then in Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's all these various descriptions in the Bible that talk about old self, new self, dead man, alive man. Um, and we need to understand that's the Christian life. You accept Christ as your Savior. The battle is on. Now you're going to have to make some choices. Am I going to live for the glory of God? As my Lord and Savior, or am I still going to be pleasing my own sinful nature and living for my own desires? There has to be a clean break. There has to be the reckoning of the old person dead and buried and living a new life for the glory of God. Galatians 5.24 tells us to crucify the sinful nature. But you know the thing about crucifixion is it's a slow, painful death. That's a slow, torturous death. Dying to self will be a slow and torturous thing. It will not come easily, and it will not come overnight. We have to decide every day when we get up, we're going to die to self today. We're going to crucify the sinful nature. We're going to live for the glory of God. It's a daily battle. It is a battle, friends. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For our weapons have divine power for the pulling down of strongholds. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It is an intentional, deliberate thing that every Christian has to be about. That when we wake up every day, we're going we're gonna to live for the glory of God. And this day, we're going to die a little bit more to self. And we're going to recognize the battle is real. And it's, and it's uh, raging. And, and, and we're going to recognize it for what it is. And we're going to die to self. And we're going to crucify the old man. And we're going to consider that person dead and buried. And every time that, that old person sticks their hand up out of the rocks, we're going to kill him again. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to kill him again. Kind of like that, that game, you know, our kids are now older, so thank the Lord we haven't had to go to Chuck E. Cheese's in years. <laughs> but now, you know, we got a grandbaby due any day now, actually any day now. And so I know, I know we're going to end up going back to Chuck E. Demons. Did I say Chuck E. Demons? I didn't mean that. Chuck E. Cheese's. But anyway, you know that game where, where it's like the, the prairie dog game, and, and so you got the mallet, and, every, and that, the prairie dog is always sticking its head up, and you're hitting it with the mallet, and then it sticks and then you hit the mallet again. That's a Christian life, friends. It's a mallet and prairie dog game where you're just like, oh, great, this sinful thought. Oh, great, this temptation. Oh, great, this thing. And you're just whack, whack. That's what you got to be about all day long. It's hitting those prairie dogs down, all right? Now, if you forget anything else I said tonight, you're going to remember that, aren't you? You're going to go home, you're going to go, okay, I'm going to turn on the TV. Oh, prairie dog, bang, turn that off. <laughs> That's just the way it's going to be. It's a prairie dog game the rest of your life until you die, and then you shed this body of flesh, and then you go to heaven, and then you got nothing left in that fleshly, miserable body of yours. <laughs> Praise God in many different ways. And you, you, you don't rejoice unless you're older, but the older you get... 
The older you get, the more you rejoice. I'm getting a new glorified body. Who says amen to that? Amen. amen. Yeah, and so and no, more, no more temptation, no more sagging and drooping and all nipping and tucking. Because it's all going to be glorified in one place. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason why the Bible describes the human body like a tent. All right? The Bible describes the human body like a tent. If you've been camping, you know, friends. I mean, after a while, tents smell. Do you know what I'm saying to you? They get that moldy smell. You can never get rid of it. It's just stuck with you. People smell you coming a mile away. Like, here comes that old tent. Tents, tents leak. There's some real truth to that, my friends. I'm telling you. And they sag, and you gotta, you gotta, you know, in the morning when you go camping, you know, and then during the night the dew settles, and then, and then the whole thing is sagging. You gotta get up and pull it tighter. There's a lot of truth. I'm telling you. There's just a lot of truth. Anyway, I, I digress. But, but you get the idea that this, there's the stuff about the fleshly life has to be dealt with. We can't. We can't pretend like it's not a battle because it's a constant battle until the day we die. We have to be courageous enough to be fighting it and to be putting to death the sinful nature. Now, he anticipates a second question here in verse 15. So here's the second question, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but let me read it first. Verse 15, he says, what, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? All right, so another way of saying it, number two on the screens, if we are no longer under the law, then are we free to live However, we want, right? That's what he's anticipating. Some people are going to abuse grace. They're like, well, great. We're under grace now, so we get to live however we want. And he finishes the rest of verse 15. He says, by no means. He says, verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, let me, let me just clarify that last point because if you heard me say, wait a minute, the battle's always going to be there. And then Paul says, well, you're free. You know, you're, you're free from sin. You've been set free from sin. So it sounds contradictory. No, not at all. You need to understand what he's saying is you're free from the dominion of sin. You are free from the authority of sin. You're not free from sin itself, but you're free from the bondage of it. But there's a choice. We can either be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And you become a slave to, to sin when you just do whatever you want. And you become a slave to righteousness when you obey God. That's the, that's the word he used twice there in verse, look again at verse 16. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to, circle the word, obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then again, verse 17, he says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin before you came to know Christ, okay, you just did whatever you want, you were, your, your life was your master, and you were a slave to it. You wholeheartedly obeyed, there's the word again, obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, okay? The form of teaching, he's talking about the gospel, the good news of Christ. Jesus dies on a cross. He's saying to the church at Rome, he says, listen, this is the good news. Christ died for you. Now obey the good news and live for the glory of God and be a slave of righteousness. You don't have to live your life anymore under this miserable control of your sinful nature because through Christ, he has set us free from the law of sin and death. 
We are not bound under the authority and dominion of sin anymore. We used to be because we had no ability to do anything otherwise. But now, not just because of what we believe, but he's going to tell us later in a little bit here, by what we have been given. It's not just a disposition, it's a dispensation. It's what God has dispensed towards us. We have victory in ways we never did before. But it still becomes a choice. It's obedience. He says in verse 19, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, right? Isn't that true? We're weak in our natural selves. He says, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now, now that you have been set free from sin, again, in the sense of the authority of sin, and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a good verse, right? Wages of sin is death, okay? There's a price to be paid when we live for self and our own sinful desires instead of living for God. And, and the wages, the price that we pay is ultimate death. But the gift of God, salvation, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, chapter 7, he's going to illustrate this a little further. He says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, he's talking here primarily to Jews, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to, once, to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Circle the word Spirit. The word Spirit does not appear one time in chapter 6, and this is the only time it appears in chapter 7. In chapter 8, it's going to appear 19 times because he's making a transition here from the body and the flesh and the sinful nature to life in the spirit. Now, he's going to raise the third question that he anticipates people might ask. A good verse 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the, is the law sin? Another way of saying it, number three on the screens is, is the law itself wrong? Because he goes through explaining how we're under grace now. We've been set free from the authority of sin. You don't have to live your life, your miserable life like you used to. You've come to know Christ now. And so crucify the old self. Reckon and consider that old person dead and buried. You're under grace. Praise God, it's a free gift. And so then he anticipates some are going to say, well, if we're all under grace, then we don't even need the law. We don't even need, you know, why do we even have our, our old, old Testament, you know, all our laws and all the, all, the, all, the, all the commandments? Why do we even need that anymore? He says, maybe the law itself is wrong. Maybe it is sin. And he answers it, certainly not. Now, 
He's going to tell us in the rest of chapter 7 the purpose of the law. And this is important for us too because, listen, we are under grace. But you still need to understand that the whole context of the Bible is given for our benefit. And there's even some wonderful benefits of the law of God. And so these are the benefits. The first thing he says here in verse 7, he says, Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. So for you note takers, the first purpose of the law is it explains what sin is. And this is what Paul says right here. He says, I would not have even known what coveting was except that I read in the law of God, don't covet. Now where do you read about not coveting? Well, there's a few places, but what he's referring to primarily is it's the 10th commandment from Exodus chapter 20. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. Let me just read to you. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, a working definition for the word covet means to desire enviously that which belongs to another. To desire enviously that, that which belongs to another. So Paul was going around, going, looking at his neighbor's house, looking at his neighbor's wife, looking at his neighbor's car, and thinking, man, those are all sweet. Those are wonderful. And I, I, I really would like to have those things. And why does that guy get to have all that nice stuff? I, I should have all that stuff. And he says, he says, I didn't even know I was coveting until I read in the commandment, don't covet. And then I became aware of what sin is. So one benefit of the law is to understand what is right and what is wrong. Now, the problem today is, Sadly, even in some churches, they want to selectively decide what some things that God says is still enforced and still defined as right and wrong, and some things that God says aren't. And people get to, I I suppose they think they get to indiscriminately just decide some of the things that God says now in terms of right and wrong are up to personal interpretation. They're not. There are things that God says are wrong, and those things are still wrong. And there are things that God says are good, and those things are still good. And we don't get to decide, based on our own personal interpretation or whim, what is right and wrong. God decides those things. And Paul says here, the law was given to explain it. These are some things that are right. These are some things that are wrong. He says, I became aware of what sin was. Now when I could read the law, I didn't even know I was coveting until I read. Do them covet. Then he tells us, second thing that he's going to tell us in the following verses is it exposes sin in us. Look at verse 8. He says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death, so that the law is holy, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. He says, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. All right, that's a, that's a lot there, isn't it? It's like, what in the world is he saying there? Basically saying this, number two, it exposes sin in us. He says, listen, when there's no definition of sin apart from the law, then when the law is given and it defines it and exposes and explains it, 
then it be, I begin to realize how guilty I am. So now, because the law was put into effect, it exposed my own personal sin, and now I realized I'm doomed. I, the law slays me because it exposes my own personal sinfulness. It's not just words on a page. It exposes my own personal sinfulness. Okay, but now, here's a good part. Verse 14, through the end of the chapter, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Okay, you're going to relate to some of this. I know I do. He says, For what I want to do, I, don't, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. He's talking about this conflict, this battle. He says, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Can anybody relate to this? Okay, I want to do good, but it's, I, I feel the temptation. The evil is right there with me. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. You know, in my spirit, I'm, just, I'm excited about God and his law. But he says, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Let me, let me say this before we read the last part here. Virgil, who was the ancient Roman poet, Virgil described in his writings how there was an ancient form of punishment that the Romans would practice. This is horrific. Listen to this. If you murdered someone and you were found guilty of murder, they would chain that corpse to you. And what would happen is, as that corpse decomposed and disease set into that corpse, it would transfer to you, and you would die a miserable death. Paul is using this terminology. He says, who will rescue me? from this wretched body, this wretched body of sin, this decaying corpse. He says, I feel like I've, I feel like I've got this, this corpse chained to me, the old self that I, I won't seem to die. He says, what am I to do with this? It keeps coming back to haunt me and to harm me, and it, it's going to end up killing me unless I do something about this rotten corpse of my previous life. And then he answers it. He says this, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one who dies on a cross and then rescues us from the dominion of darkness, the Bible says, and translates us and transfers us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. And there's this wonderful redemptive rescuing work that happens because of what Christ has done for us. Paul says, I'll tell you who's going to rescue me from this wretched corpse of myself that keeps haunting me and following after me and chained to me. Jesus Christ, my Lord, is the one who gives me the victory over sin and death. And he closes it here, chapter 7, he says, So that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sins. He says, I've got to recognize the sinful nature because the sinful nature is a slave to sin. But he says, in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, 
I'm going to live for the glory of God. And then into chapter 8, which we'll get to next week, Lord willing, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. That's that empowering work that helps us to have the victory over this rotten corpse of our life that is trying to constantly kill us. Romans teaches that living for Jesus isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's an entire lifestyle change. Your heart and your mind are made new through the powerful grace and love of Jesus. You begin to want to do things as Jesus has, and that includes knowing what he says in the Word. It's important to make spending time in the Bible part of your life. You'll learn more about the Savior you follow and his plans for your life and for the world as a whole. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's message on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen again to this study in Romans, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it all. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we'd love to have you come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come meet Pastor Gary, spend some time in the Word, and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our King. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. We hope you'll join us again for this continuing study of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.